0: Okay, Nehemiah, we are in chapter 10 this morning, we start chapter 10, so let's open with a word of prayer. Father God, we do thank you again for the chance to study your word, and we just pray that as we go through your word, you will uh, help us to to pick out of uh, this history of Israel uh, things that are important to us, things that we can learn from it. And Lord, I know in some cases it just looks like lists of names, but uh, these are all people who are important to you and you've and put their names in, in your word. And we pray that you <coughs> uh, take this and, and make it uh, something we can apply in our own lives. We ask these things in Christ's name. Amen. I don't hear you very well. Okay. I don't know if that will help a little bit. That's it. Yeah, that's it. Okay. Thank you. I was a little off to one side of it. Okay, we are going to read this morning, but we're going to start in verse 28. <laughs> we're going to skip the first 27 verses. So, there's nobody notable
1: in there, or what?
2: There's a few. We'll,
0: we'll, we'll pick them up as we go through. So, we'll start in 28 and read through the end of the chapter. The rest of the
1: people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all who have separated themselves from the peoples of the lands, to the law of God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, and all who have knowledge and understanding.
2: All these now join their fellow Israelites and nobles and bind themselves with a curse and an oath to follow the law of God given through Moses, the servant of God, and to be obeyed carefully by all command, all the commands, regulations, and decrees of the Lord our God.
3: And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters for our sons.
4: When the neighbouring peoples bring merchandise or grain to sell on the Sabbath, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or on any holy day. Every seven year we will go we will forego working the land and will cancel all debts.
1: We also place ourselves on the obligation to contribute yearly one third of the shekel for the service of the house of our Lord of our God
3: the bread displayed before the Lord, the daily grain offering, the regular burnt offering, the Sabbath and new moon offerings, the appointed
1: festivals, the holy things, the sin offerings to atone for Israel and for all the work of the house of our God. We cast lots among the priests, the Levites, and the people, (coughs) excuse me, for bringing the wood offering into the house of our God, according to our Father's houses at the appointed times, year by year, to burn on the altar of the Lord our God, as it is written in the law.
3: We also assume responsibility for bringing to the house of the Lord each year the first fruits of our crops and of every fruit tree.
0: And bring to the house of our God the firstborn of our sons and of our cattle, and the firstborn of our herds and our flocks, as it is written in the law for the priests who are ministering in the house of our God.
1: And to bring the first of our dough and our contributions, the fruit of every tree, the wine and the oil, to the priests, to the chambers of the house of our God, and to bring to the Levites the tithes from our ground, for it is the Levites who collect the tithes in all of our towns where we labor.
2: A priest is in from Aaron and is to accompany the Levites when they receive the tithes. And the Levites (coughs) will bring it it up to the house of our God, to the storerooms of the treasury.
3: For the sons of Israel and the sons of Levi, shall bring the contribution of the grain, the new wine, and the oil to the chambers. There are the utensils of the sanctuary, the priests who are ministering, the gatekeepers, and the singers. Thus, we will not neglect the house of our God.
0: Okay. So last week we finished up chapter nine, and if you remember, most of this chapter was a psalm of. Praise and worship to God for His faithfulness, for His uh, grace to them. And it was also um, a psalm of confession of the failures, the disobedience, of, and idolatry of the people of Israel. And so over and over again we saw God having compassion on the people um, when they did not deserve it. And we saw these cycles where He would discipline them and then have compassion. And at the end of chapter 9 they are asking God to remember their current distress. you know they were under severe discipline. they had been deported, they were back in the land. you know they were not prospering at this time. Um, they talked about being enslaved to the kings, they were under heavy taxation, um, they had to get permission to rebuild the temple, they had to get permission to rebuild the walls and so they are, Asking God, again, to um, bring them a deliverer, to uh, deliver them from their current distress. And to emphasize the fact that they really are serious this time and they want to obey God. They're drawing up this covenant, this agreement. And that's what we'll see in chapter 10. What does this document say that they pledged to do in return to God? This is their pledge of obedience. So looking at uh, chapter 10, the first thing you see through the first 27 verses is mostly names. So let's explain what these names are. So verse 1, it says, Now on the sealed document were the names of Nehemiah the governor, the son of Hekaliah, and Zedekiah. So we saw before, this is an official document. It's going to be sealed, which demonstrates its importance, that it should not be changed. And first we have listed Nehemiah the governor. So uh, we know that at this time he's the governor. um, And we also have a a man named Zedekiah listed, Mm -hmm. who is. commentaries think he's just another government official. So these are the government officials listed in verse one.
2: Name was Nehemiah's dad, dad a notable person?
0: I don't, I don't know.
2: The way it's so it's almost
0: like, sort exactly. of you know. Yeah, I think in in a lot of cases it they name the the father in order to identify which Nehemiah it was. Mm-hmm. So this instead of having last names, it was. They name the son, you know, their father, you know, like my last name Eric's son, yeah, Eric's son, yeah, as to distinguish me from some other Daryl's, you know, so right. So, verse one, we've got the government officials, uh, they represent the Persian government here, um, and then verses two through eight we have the priests. And you can, you can see these names. There's, there's a list of 21 names here. And it ends in verse 8 with three names. And then it says, these were the priests. So it ed- the list ends by telling us who they were. Now the commentaries say these are not necessarily individuals, but family names. Um, let's turn to chapter 12 And verse one says, now these are the priests and the Levites who came up with Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel and Jeshua. So that takes us back to Ezra chapters one and chapter two, you know, when they first returned to the land. So these are the names of the priests who came at that time. So here we've got 22 names. Fifteen of these names are included in our list in Chapter 10. So what they're thinking is that these are the the family names who came back to the land back in 536 or 537, 538 B.C. And that these family names are repeated uh, in Chapter 10. Either that or they're just their descendants have the same names. You know, we, we had a friend named Oscar Meyer, mm-hmm. the fourth. You know, so he was the fourth generation with the same name. So this could just be, it could be individuals who have names similar. Um, but looking at, you know, again in, in chapter 12, verse 7, it says, these were the heads of the priests and their kinsmen in the days of Jeshua. So, at that time, these are the heads of the families. So, now we're listing priests here. And there's two names that are missing. One of them should be fairly obvious. Because we just studied a book with his name on it. Ezra. (laughs) Yeah, Ezra's... Pretty predominant through this this passage. Where Ezra's name's not in here. The he's high, 12, yeah, we'll see him later. Yeah, his name comes up again. Uh, and also, the high priest is Eliashib, well, he's not listed. So you, those are two names that you would think for think for sure are would be listed. they for signing. these are sign well, this is one of the reasons we think it's family names, Joe. <laughs> if you look at verse 2, the first name in the list, Sariah. Both Ezra and Eliashib belonged to that family. So they are included in the, and that's probably why Sariah is the first name on the list. Because he's the father of Ezra and of Eliashib or the ancestor of them both, so. When you look
2: at those numbers, you know, having family groups kind of seems to make sense. So how is Ezra and the other one related? Cousins?
0: Probably some kind of cousins, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <First. laughs> We're not told exactly. But when you go back, you want... Know was it Ezra chapter 8 when Ezra introduces himself. He gives his genealogy, and it includes Sariah. But I haven't seen a, a genealogy for Eliashib, or I didn't go looking for it. So, so that's verses 2 through 8 are the priests. And then 9 through 13, we have the Levites. In this case, verse 9 starts out, and the Levites... We have Jeshua, the son of Azaniah, Benui, of the sons of Hanadab, Cadmiel. So we have three names in the first verse. They're given a little more attention than the rest of the names. they at least given a... Two of them are, were given the name of one of their descendants. And um, just from the way the... Um, passage is written, they're giving a little more emphasis. So they're apparently the leaders in the Levites. Because verse 10 says, and also their brothers. So it says, oh, they list the three leaders and their brothers, the other Levites. And so here we have a total of 17 names. So Looking at uh, the priest, twenty. We have twenty-one priests, uh, seventeen Levites. Um, these names uh, commentaries. You can. There's all these other lists. You can find these names in other lists in these two books. I did not go looking for them, uh, but they're they're throughout the books and other lists. And then in verses. Uh, 14 through 27. So, looking at 14, it says the leaders of the people. So, these are leaders of family groups. These are um, heads of families, elders in the families. And here we have 44 names on the list. So, um, I kind of added all these groups up and got a total of 84 names. So
2: repeats are separate? What was that? If they're in both lists, they're actually different people?
0: <coughs> yeah, these, well, all these people, there's 44 different names. Well, is here.
2: in both lists, 13 and 18.
0: Right. So they have similar names. You might have p- different people with the same name, but they should be different people. Do you think we had 84 people put their seals on a document? <laughs> You'd have to have. Huge document to get 84 seals on it. So when it says it was a sealed document, I think these people had their names written in it. They may have signed the document, but I don't. I think there was a limited number who actually put their seals on it. Okay, of these 44 names, uh, the commentary says the first 21 are nearly parallel to the list in Ezra chapter 2, verses 3 through 30. I did not check that out. <laughs> you can check that out if you want to. <laughs> so 21 of them. So what about the re- remaining 23? If you go to Nehemiah chapter 3, which was who built what of wall, you'll find a lot of those names there. And then there's some of the names are just new that we haven't seen before in the book. So um, Those are the 44 names of, of family representatives here. So, as I mentioned before, 84 names. These are people who are priests, Levites, representatives of the Persian government, and the heads of the families. So they have all put their name to this document. So going on to verse 28... It says, Now the rest of the people, the priests, the Levites, the gatekeepers, the singers, the temple servants, and all those who had separated themselves from the peoples of the lands to the law of their God, their wives, their sons, their daughters, all those who had knowledge and understanding. <clears throat> so the rest of the people, or all those outside this list, um, they're not necessarily leaders, they did not sign the document, but they are obligating themselves to keep this agreement. And it begins with those who served officially in the temple in some way. So it lists the priests, Levites, gatekeepers, singers, and temple servants. So these are all the people that are, I guess you call, would call them full-time religious ministry. You know, They worked in the temple. Uh, maybe call them the clergy or something. Uh, but we also have the lay people who are, what I guess we would call them spiritually minded lay people. Um, so they are described here as those who have separated themselves uh, from the peoples of the lands. And I think that's the same group we had back in chapter 9, verse 2. Would someone like to read that for us? Chapter 9, verse 2.
1: And the Israelites separated themselves from all foreigners and stood and confessed their sins and the iniquities
0: of their fathers. Okay, so this is, this really starts this whole section. So you've got these people who have separated themselves from the lands. Uh, They're all the descendants of Israel. um, And they're the ones who are involved in this the worship and confession of sins, and now the um, pledge to uh, obey God. They're, these are the people who really want to com- recommit themselves to serving God. So it's not necessarily all the Israelites, it's the ones who have separated themselves uh, from the peoples of the land, but it also says to. So they separated themselves to the law of God. So they made a commitment to God's law. And so it's important, you know we don't just separate ourselves from evil. We don't just avoid doing bad things, but we separate ourselves to God, to His word, to obedience. So I want to turn to the New Testament and look at a couple passages. Let's turn to Second Corinthians. Chapter six. We can say that the same principles apply to us in the church. So second Corinthians chapter six. And would someone like to read verses fourteen through seventeen?
4: believers for what do righteousness and wickedness have in common or what fellowship can light have with darkness what harmony is there between christ and Belial? and what does a believer have in common with an unbeliever what agreement is there between the temple of god and idols for we are the temple of the living god as god says i will live with them and walk among them and i will be their god and they will be my people
0: 17 also please okay. yeah
4: therefore Come out from them and be separated," says the Lord. "Touch no unclean thing, and I will receive you."
0: Okay. So here we see this: the idea of being separate from uh, from unbelievers, from the world, uh, from darkness. And you know, Paul is giving us that separation from part of the uh, uh, devotion to God. And in the end, he you know he quotes from the Old Testament where God tells the Jews to be separated. So we have that same kind of separation from the, the world.
1: I was thinking about the marriage situation where you leave and you clean. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? right. That came to mind. So. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You're leaving one to join another.
0: So that's the separate from. So let's turn to Romans chapter 6. <clears throat> I'm going to
3: like to read verse 13. Do not go on presenting the members of your body to sin as instruments of unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead and your members as instruments of righteousness to God.
0: Okay, so you're presenting yourself to God. So this is the other half of the equation. Um, Romans 12, 1 and 2 is... Also well known, he says, "You know, present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice to God. Do not be conformed to the world." So, you know, similar to what they are going through, you know, is part of what we have to do: separate ourselves from the world system around us. Um, present, in order to present ourselves to God. Um, one last verse. Let's look at Acts chapter fourteen. <coughs> Someone like to uh read verse fifteen
1: for us. And say amen, why are you doing these things? We are also men of the same nature as you and preach the gospel to you that you should turn from these vain things to the living God, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and all that is in them.
0: So this verse has that concept turn from these things to a living God. You don't just turn away from evil, you turn to God. It involves both of these aspects. Now these people back in uh, Nehemiah chapter 10, it's not just um, talking about individuals or the, the men as leaders of the family, but you've got the entire families listed here. Uh, you know, it's got the wives, their sons and their daughters um, so you've got the whole family desiring to do this and it includes the phrase at the end it says all those who had knowledge and understanding and this last phrase could be taken a couple different ways does somebody have an niv I'd like to read this it's the very last phrase I don't know if anyone has that. Who are able to understand? Who are able to understand, right. So that's a little different. And that, that interprets it like we had. Let's turn back to Nehemiah chapter 8. And so I'd like to read verses 2 and 3. So this is Ezra reading uh, the Word of God uh, aloud to all the people. Nehemiah chapter 8, verses 2 and 3. Would someone read that for us?
4: So on the first day of the seventh month, Ezra the priest brought the law before the assembly, which was made up of men and women and all who were able to understand. He read it aloud from daybreak till noon, and he faced the square before the water gate in the presence of the men, women, and others who could understand. And all the people listened attentively to the book of the law.
0: Okay, so here's pretty clearly if they were able to understand. Okay. Now, that's one way of taking this phrase. The other hand, when you look at the New American Standard and New King James, which are both more literal, it says those who had knowledge and understanding. Meaning that they did have knowledge of God's word, they did have understanding of God's word. They knew what was going on. They were old enough to have not, to have the understanding. Uh, and so I think this refers to... Uh, People who realize the need to obey God's law. You know, even young people who they've heard it, they understand it, and they think this is important. They fear, they have learned to fear God. And we have the fear of the Lord linked to knowledge and understanding. Let's look at Proverbs. Proverbs chapter 1 and verse 7 someone would like to read that for us first fear the Lord is the beginning of knowledge but fools despise wisdom and instruction okay the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge <coughs> so when you first start getting knowledge <coughs> kind of the first thing you learn is fear the Lord that's the foundation of knowledge <coughs> Let's also turn to chapter 9. It's likely verse 10 for us. The
1: fear of the Lord is the
0: beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy is insight. Okay, so here it's not just knowledge but wisdom and insight or understanding comes from learning the fear of the Lord. You know, it's like this is the basis of true wisdom and true knowledge and true understanding is learning to fear the lord and so i think that's probably what this passage refers to back in in nehemiah chapter 10. those who have enough understanding and the desire to fear god and to obey him okay going on to verse 29 back in Nehemiah chapter 10 and it says are joining with their kinsmen their nobles and are taking on themselves a curse and an oath to walk in God's law which was given them through Moses God's servant and to keep and to observe all the commandments of God our Lord and his ordinances and his statutes so Here we see that all these people we just talked about in verse 28 are joining along with the people who are listed by name in the first 27 verses to take this oath. Um, Now, here it's those people who are named are called their, their brethren, the nobles. And, you know, a lot of times when I think of nobility, I think of people with titles and and uh, royalty and things like that, but in the this seems to be more of a a general term for people of importance. They don't necessarily have royal bloodlines or anything, but these are people of importance. So that's what they mean by nobles here. Now it says they take on a curse and an oath. Well, this passage doesn't say anything about it anything else about a curse so we don't know what the curse might have been but uh, there's no details given however as far as the oath of what they promised to do we're given quite a bit of detail here in the next starting in verse 30 but this verse this verse verse 29 gives a, a real general statement that they say they'll keep god's law and it mentions um The commandments, the ordinances, and the statutes. So those terms mean it's all-inclusive. All of God's commandments they will keep. So starting in verse 30, we have some of the details of of what they promised to do. Starting in verse 30, And that we will not give our daughters to the peoples of the land or take their daughters to our sons. So this first promise is not to intermarry with the non-Jewish people that surround them. And since this is first in the list, it's very possible that this means it was the biggest problem. And we've seen that before. Um, That was the first issue Ezra ran into when he returned to the land. So let's go back to Ezra chapter nine. Ezra chapter 9, someone like to read verses 2 and 3.
3: For they have taken some of their daughters as wives for themselves and for their sons, so that the holy race was intermingled with the peoples of the lands. Indeed, the hands of the princes and the rulers have been foremost in this unfaithfulness. When I heard about this matter, I tore my garment and my robe and pulled some of the hair from my head and my beard and sat down appalled.
0: Okay, this is a horrible thing as far as Ezra was concerned because it was a violation of God's law. And it was um, basically polluting and and, uh, watering down the the godly line of Israel um, by intermarrying, um, definitely violating... uh, what God had said. And this occurred about 13 years earlier than what we're looking at now. So we've gone about 13 years. Now we're told in chapter 13 that 12 years in the future, Nehemiah will be back in the capital city of Susa. And then he returns to Jerusalem In chapter 13, verses 23 and 24. So let's turn. So this is 12, 13 years in the future. Nehemiah 13. Someone like to read verses 23 and 24, please.
1: In those days, I also saw the Jews who married women from Ashdod, Ammon, and Moab. As for their children, half spoke the language of Ashdod, and none of them were able to speak the language of Judah.
0: The language of his own people. Okay, so we'd had this problem 13 years earlier, and we will see it raise its ugly head again 13 years or so in the future. They just couldn't manage to keep this particular part of the law, they were intermarrying with the surrounding nations. Okay, so that's the first promise. And it's one which they did not keep. And I don't know, again, what the curse was. We're told, I think, in chapter 13, that Nehemiah goes around and yanks her hair out. But I can't <laughs> remember if that's mm-hmm. included in the curse or not. It was yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm just that part. Verse 3, yeah. He tears their hair out. Not his hair. No, it's theirs. <laughs> Ezra, when he heard about it, he tore his... Clothes in his beard. Nehemiah, he didn't tear his hair. He tore the offender's hair. Uh, he said he beat them in and pulled out their hair. He beat him. okay. beat them and pulled out their hair. Right.
3: He's probably getting a little frustrated with them. So is he
2: like a bigger man? Or? <laughs> 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 he must have driving any man like he come up and beat him up and
1: pull his hair.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. He may have had an armed guard with him or something too. So, so this was a major problem they had, and that's probably why it's first on the list. Um, but again, they violated that in the future. Okay, going on to verse 31, a couple more things that they promise. It says, As for the people of the land who bring wares or any grain on the Sabbath day to sell, we will not buy from them on the Sabbath or a holy day, And we will forego the crops of the the seventh year and the exactation of every debt. So, several promises. The first one is to protect the sanctity of the Sabbath and of the holy days. And the law pretty clearly says, do no work on the Sabbath. Let's go back to Exodus chapter twenty. And verse ten, Exodus twenty ten. Someone like to read that for us. But the seventh day is the Sabbath day
3: to the Lord your God. On it you shall not do any work, neither you nor your son or daughter, nor your male or female servant, nor your animals,
0: nor any foreigner residing in your towns. Okay, nobody is to do any work on the Sabbath. Even including the foreigners. Now, the fact that you are prohibited from doing work does that mean you can't go shopping? Does that work? Is <laughs> that kind you're of
4: somebody
3: else work? You're shopping, that? <laughs> you're causing somebody else to work.
0: Well, maybe you uh, you can interpret these things differently on, yeah. <laughs> depending on what you if want. It's,
2: if it's an non-Jewish person, <laughs>
0: uh, sure. yeah, we you know we. This is kind of a, we can call this a gray area and bend it a little bit, can't we?
2: I always want to do the big so, part raising
0: pigs Right. <laughs> so, you know, that's this is just a the tendency. They had the same tendency we do. You know, if you know something might not be right, but you try to figure out how to rationalize, get around the rule, maybe call it a gray area. Uh, and that's what it appears they were doing. Either that or they just didn't care. Let's, um, let's turn to the book of Amos. Right after Joel, if you can find Joel. <laughs> Amos chapter 8. Now this passage condemns um, illegal and immoral business practices. So that's the main thrust of this passage in Amos. But it will tell us something about doing business on the Sabbath. So someone would read Amos chapter 8, verses 4 through 6.
3: Hear this, you who trample the needy to do away with the humble of the land, saying, When will the new moon be over? So that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may open the wheat market to make the bushel smaller and the shekel bigger, and to cheat with dishonest scales. So it's to buy the helpless for money and the needy for a pair of sandals, excuse me, and that we may sell the refuse of the wheat.
0: Okay. So they were, you know, illegal, shady businessmen, and they're bemoaning the fact that they can't cheat people on the Sabbath because the markets are not open, or on the Holy Day, or on the New Moons. The new moon days. They can't cheat the people. So that's what they're complaining about. So they knew that buying and selling was not permissible on the Sabbath. And we'll go back to Nehemiah chapter 13 again. verses 16 and 17. Nehemiah chapter 13, verses 16 and 17. Does someone like to read those for us.
1: Tyrians also, who lived in the city, brought in fish and all kinds of goods and sold them on the Sabbath to the people of Judah in Jerusalem itself. Then they confronted the nobles of Judah and said to them, what is this evil thing that you are doing, profaning the Sabbath?
0: Okay. So again we see they, they did not keep their oath that Nehemiah specifically says it is an evil thing so buying and selling on the sabbath was evil in their eyes uh, clearly states that it's wrong um you know i was thinking about this and i remember when i was you know younger back in the 60s and 70s there was a lot of stores that were closed on sunday that was common you know that was just common um even though the law does not apply to us today, that was people respected this, this Sunday. So, no doing business on the Sabbath or on the holy days. The other thing they say is that they will forego the crops the seventh year and the exaction of every debt. So, this was the, that whole issue of the land laying fallow every seventh year. And and we've talked about that before, because of the prophecies of the seventy years of captivity, because the Jews had not let the land lie fallow. So let's let's turn back to Second Chronicles chapter thirty six.
2: Did that apply to like fruits and stuff that were annually? I think I think everything you weren't supposed to pick it or because it like drop or
0: you weren't supposed to harvest it. I think you could.
2: Yeah, I can see not planting and then harvesting.
0: Yeah, I was thinking some of that. Um, I'm, I'm vague on that. Yeah, I'm, I'm not sure the answer, but there's. seemed like there were some things that, you know, you can pick them up off the ground after they fell from the tree, but you weren't supposed to pick them.
4: Um, I'm just thinking, leave your garden for a full year, then you come back the next year and got to start all over again. Yeah. We really want the carbon no. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah, they're actually, um, when you go back into the law and read it, it was like, you know, the first year you let it lie fallow, and the second year you let it, whatever was planted of itself would grow, and you harvested that. So it was like there was a couple years of, of, of low harvest. But God says, on the sixth year, I will bless you, and you'll have enough to get through. I was saying, you have to trust me on this one. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. They did not trust him. Yeah, it really was a matter of trust. Okay, going back, 2 uh, Chronicles 36, some more likely verses 20 and 21. Those
1: who escape from the sword and carried away he to Babylon, they were the servants to them and their sons until they became the fruit uh, of the kingdom of Persia. To the word the Lord by the mouth of thy land, till so the land had enjoyed its Sabbath, all the days of its desolation it kept Sabbath until seven years were
0: complete. Okay. So the land was given its Sabbath. God enforced the Sabbaths on the land when the people did not do it themselves. Mm-hmm. Um and then the other third promise is that they would forgive their debts every seven years and not require payment. And so we've already looked at that uh, back in chapter five, where the people were complaining about the indebtedness. And so they, we spent quite a bit of time looking back. So every seventh year, um, the land would lie fallow; they would forgive the debts, and you know start over again in year eight. So um, now they're promising that they will continue to do these things that Nehemiah already. Had gotten them to change, and this was one that, if you remember, it, it threatened the rebuilding of the walls because the people were all in debt. Okay, so we need to uh, stop there. Um, Brian, would you like to close in prayer for us, please?
4: Heavenly Father, we want to thank you and for your word and showing us that you know you provide for us and you wish us to. You know, follow your word and and know that you will protect us and you know you want to lead us and as long as you know we trust in you and thank you for uh, okay Um, bless this next hour to come and open our hearts and minds to Robert's message and let it indwell us in Jesus' name we pray Amen Amen Yeah, it's amazing you look at